You see, if you, if you look at the lyrics of that worship song carefully, it says, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. If you love someone or if you love something, you go all out, don't you? You do whatever it takes. So you give your all. As we lift our voices unto him, we're saying, I love you, Lord. So we are worshiping him with our everything, our soul, our spirit, our all. So we lift our voices unto him, we worship him, and we say to him, take joy, my king, in what you hear. What are we saying to him? We love you, Lord. But you see, he first loved us. So he already loves us, and we are saying back to him, we love you, Lord. That is key. That is very, very important. And he says, let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. So it means we're going to say good things to him. We're going to worship him, lift him up, declare to him who he is. It doesn't, know, it doesn't mean that he doesn't know who he is. He already knows. But it's good that we tell him that he is God. Because he's still God by himself. Whether we tell him or we don't tell him, it doesn't change who he is. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we worship. You see, if he left his throne, if he left everything and came down to earth from heaven, to die for you and for me. I believe strongly that if it had been just one person, he still would have done the same thing. Come down to die so that we may be saved, that we may be set free, that we may be redeemed, that we would spend eternity with him. That is the God that we serve. He's so good. Isn't he wonderful? He's a good God. We have a God who never fails. You see, his faithfulness is forevermore. His faithfulness is forever sure. That is the God that I believe in. And I'm sure it's the same God that we all talk about every time we meet up here and wherever we are. Because I'm sure we don't just worship God here. We worship God in our homes and even as we walk on our daily commutes. You see, there are so many noises. What I do, I'm not saying everybody do the same. I get on the train every morning and you see the noises all around. You hear all kinds of things. Noise, 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 noise. The world is full of noise. You need to choose what sound you listen to because that tends to shape you. That tends to help you in all that you do. There's so much negative sounds around. Are you going to absorb those negative sounds into you first thing in the morning? That doesn't set you up properly, does it? So I choose to listen to a particular sound, listen to the voice of God, and I go into worship. And at first I didn't understand this thing, but I realized that it's very good. I get zoned in. By that I mean, I get this, thank goodness for phones these days, because they can literally do everything, can't they? I got my worship songs on. I plug in, stick it in there, I'm zoned out. Anything else going on around, I don't care. I'm not interested in that. I need to set me up for the day. I need to set myself up by listening to worship, by listening to praise. Because you get into work and there are all kinds of things going on. You need to be ready to deal with them. You need to be ready to face them. Those challenges come every day, wherever you are. So... If you've set yourself up, if you have, let's put it this way, I've taken my source of power and energy for the day. So long as I've got that in me, 
I'm not eager to go for anything else. I've got the real deal, the real juice. I've got the Holy Spirit juice inside of me. That sets me up nicely for the day. So when you go through challenges, the challenges come every day. I don't know about you, but I work in a place where it's not everybody who believes in Christ, who believes in God. No. I mean, except you are in your home. Wherever you go, I'm sure there are people who do not believe. And you need to set yourself up, be in a position where you know whom you've believed, you have to be charged, and you have to be ready to talk to them if necessary. Because they come at you with all kinds of things, and they do stuff that is contrary to your belief. What then do you do? Do you just slide along, go along with it? Some people, I remember a previous place I used to work at, um, the manager was frequently saying things like, che sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No, whatever will be, will not be. What does the word of God say? What has God said about you? What has God said about me? That is what will be. So we must choose the words we speak. We must be careful what we listen to so they don't influence us in the wrong way. Hallelujah. I don't know where this came from. This wasn't planned. I've got my stuff here that I'm ready to start on, and there was my lip just going off. God does his own stuff. Um, I was looking at something. Um, light. You know, light is very important in our lives. For instance, we have light in this room. I'm just wondering if we had no lights here, it would be dark. We'll get rays of sun coming in from there and from there. That's all still light. But light is crucial. Light is essential for life. And when we talk about light in the, spiritual, in the Christian sense, we're referring to life. Light, life. God is light. God is life. And that is crucial or critical to our well-being. We need to be tapped in at all times to receive from the source. He is the source of light, and he is the source of life. Now, I just did some work. I went into the dictionary to try to find out how the world defines light or what the world says about light, and then try to look at the word and see how we could put the two together and see the right way to go. So it talks about light in the dictionary as a natural agent that stimulates sight. It makes things visible. It reveals, it illuminates. And it talks about it being an understanding of a problem or mystery. So they say, he saw the light. The light bulb came on, the light bulb moment. So it's, it's, it finally twigged that, oh, okay, this is it. So light illuminates, it sheds light, or actually it brings forth mysteries. It reveals, it makes visible, it makes clear, it makes things visible, things clear. Then I went to the ultimate source, which is the Bible. And I was just trying to find out things about God and about light. And if we go to Genesis 1, Mm. 
in the Amplified. Let's go to NIV and make it simpler. Genesis 1, 2 to 4. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. Interesting. Darkness and light, the two are not the same. And darkness can never overcome light. And if God is light, that tells you clearly that the darkness of this world, spiritually, when we're talking of darkness, we're referring to evil. We are referring to the evil spirits. When we talk of light, we're referring to God. So this one tells us clearly that the two were separated. And if you notice in your natural life, there's no way darkness ever overcomes light, no matter how dark it is. So long as you have some light, no matter how small, you can actually see the light. That is the power of light. And that is what God created. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So that's where it started from. Let there be light. And there was light. Now the same thing, when he brought or was taking the Israelites out of Egypt, you remember there was the pillar of cloud and there was the fire. That again is light, the fire shone, they could see, it made them see. You see, light illuminates, it gives visibility, it makes you see, it reveals things. So in the darkness, as the Israelites traveled, the light of God, that fire created light, and that light showed them the way. That light led them, it made them see the way to go. And that is what God does with us. When he shines his light, it leads us. We see the way to go. You see, it says clearly, let your word be a light and a lamp. The word of God is light and a lamp. Let your word be a light to my path and a lamp unto my feet. That's direction. He shows us the way in which we should go. That's what his light does. And his light is the word. The word, when the word comes forth, That word opens up things. It reveals, it illuminates, it shows the way. So we need to, this tells us clearly, we need to have the word of God in us and with us. In us and with us. It has to be be a part of us. So not just within, in our spirit and soul, but surround us. You see, we must learn to affect our atmosphere our environment, because if we don't, we'll be listening to the wrong things. And the way to do this is to bombard your environment, either with the word of God, with the praise of God, with the worship of God. These things affect your atmosphere. They affect your environment and drives away evil. 
For the enemy cannot stand worship, particularly when you're worshiping God, praising him and lifting him up. The enemy will flee. We need to affect that. So the word should be in us and around us, wherever we go, in all that we do in our daily walk. You see, if we look again at um, John chapter 1, John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. I'm emphasizing that point again in verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the word of God, the light of God. Darkness, evil, cannot, can never overcome the word of God, nor can it overcome the light of God. So we see here again, talking about the light. And that light became the light of man. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. You see, that light shows us the way. It showed us the way. And the light shines in the darkness, and darkness cannot comprehend it. That's amazing. The word of God being our direction, source of direction, source of illumination, source of revelation. It shows us the way to go, how to do things, how to go, not in our own strength. We must always remember to say to him, or this is what I say every time. In fact, it is even in his word that he goes before you and he'll be with you. The Lord himself goes before you and he'll be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If he goes before you and he'll be with you, his light shines ahead of you. His light shines around you. So you are kept in light. You are kept in the word of God. You are kept in him. Therefore, you're protected. You're blessed. His glory shines around you. And if he be for you, who can be against you? Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to this? If God be for you, who? And I always like this. Who? To me, the who is who, what? What situation, what circumstance could work against you? Who could be against you? Who could work against you? Yes, you may see issues, you may see challenges. And the thing is, not to concentrate on those things. That doesn't mean you're denying that those challenges exist. They do exist. But the thing is, who have you believed or who do you believe? Whose report do you believe? Do you believe the report of the Lord that says, if he be for you, who can be against you? Or do you believe what you are currently seeing around you? saying, you know, in the boat, when there was the storm, 
before Christ stepped in. The storm was at its fiercest, and the disciples thought they were dead. They were gone. Everything was gone. No, no more. Nothing's going to happen. And they asked, do you not care about us? You see, it's interesting. Jesus was right there in the boat with them. Yet, yet, they focused on what was going on around. They didn't look at who they were within or who they were with or who they had with them. We do the same. We do the same. When challenging situations come, we tend to focus on, ooh, ooh this one is tough. Mm, I don't know, I don't know, this one. Yeah. And many a times people tend to do this. Oh, yes, 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 the word of God says, but you are, negati- you are negating what God has said if you put that but there. Rather, if you were to say the situation exists, there are two ways you could do the but. The but emphasizing the situation and circumstance, lifting that up rather than lifting up our God. The situation exists, but I believe the word of the, God, of the Lord, which says, I am blessed and highly favored. I'm seated in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. That's what his word says. You may not feel it, you may not see it at the time. You've got to keep confessing as you say it, as you say it, it manifests. The situation will move, it will change. Remember, there's that song that says, turn your eyes on Jesus, yeah? And look to his wonderful face. And the things of this world grow strangely dim. As you focus on him, as you concentrate on him more and more, you don't let those things bother you. That doesn't mean that they don't exist. They are there. They are there. And the whole idea is for them to be there to dissuade you, to discourage you from your belief and your faith. But the thing is, we need to stand firm. Many things come to take us away from what we believe. The situation seems so dire. It seems so difficult, impossible. No way out, as some say. But the thing is, you've got to tell that situation there is a way out because you have a God, or we have a God who never fails. We have a God who's promised. You see, he says that he doesn't promise that we will not have challenges. He, doesn't, he never says that. On the contrary, I think he takes us through those things so we build, our character is built, and we learn perseverance, patience, learning to wait, learning to hold on, learning, having looked within yourself and done all that you think you can do to stand and say, my God, I got it wrong. Take charge. That's what we should have done from the very beginning. Rather than handing it over to him, we try to, and that's human nature, isn't it? We try to be in control. We try to deal with it. We try to make things happen. So it's the other way around. It should rather be the first port of call should be our Jesus. Jesus, are you, I give the situation unto you. Come through for me. Rather than we trying to fix it and fix it and stressing and becoming heavily laden with burdens, with challenges, with difficulties that we're never meant to deal with by ourselves. That's life. But the thing is, we must learn on a daily basis that he is the first port of call. He's the one that we tend to first. 
when those challenges come, because they will come. You see, and he says that in his word that those challenges will come, and as they come, he'll give you the strength to overcome them. So that tells me clearly that he hasn't promised that we will not face those as his children. We will still go through. But the test is, he'll give us the strength to go through those challenges, to overcome those challenges. Nothing is too big or difficult for us to overcome because it is not our strength, it is his strength that enables us. Do we learn on a daily basis to wait on the Lord? And as we wait upon him, he will renew our strength. Remember, he will renew our strength. It's not we going to renew the strength ourselves because we can't. He's the one who renews our strength. And as he renews our strength, we will mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. We're able to do this because it is the strength of Christ, not our own strength. So, is that what we're doing? Or are we letting situations and issues of life get hold of us? You see, he's done a lot for us. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. He's the light of the world. You see, he wants us to be a beacon, be on a mountaintop, a hilltop that all can see. Oh, that's my son. That's my daughter. Look at them. They are overcomers. They overcome challenges. Issues of life, don't drown them. Don't take them down. Rather, they stand. They stand against it and they confess my word. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to teach the world rather than be, go all limp and just cow into our shells. Poor me, poor me. And have our little pity parties. But he doesn't deal with pity parties. He doesn't want us to have pity parties. God doesn't want pity party. He doesn't want any of us to hold a pity party. He wants us to have a Holy Ghost bash. Holy Ghost bash party where we tell people about him. Oh yes, this is my God. Look how wonderful he is. Look what he has done. He healed my body. He healed my mind. He's in me. He makes a way for me where there seems to be no way. Look at my blessings. Last week, this is what he did for me. Last year, this is what he did for me. Tomorrow, this is what he's going to do for me. And we have to say it with a conviction. That's our God. That's our God. Rather than cowering into our shells and having that pity party, poor me, poor me. No one has ever been through this thing before. I'm the only one. What did I do wrong? What have I done wrong? You've done nothing wrong. Issues of life happen. But the thing is, as and when they come, you must learn to stand your ground. We must learn to stand our ground and hand it over to our God and our King. You see, the light of, because you see, he's already given us that victory. When he stepped down, as the light of the world, he stepped down into darkness that song says, open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart, beauty of the Lord that made this heart adore you. Hope of life spent with you, eternity. I'm here to worship you. I bow down before you. 
I'm here to say or to declare that you are my God. You are altogether lovely, altogether worthy. Altogether lovely, altogether worthy. We sing that all the time, don't we? So as we sing it, we must make it a part of our lives. Wherever we are, when those challenges come, we must remember the words of many of these worship and praise songs because they mean a lot. Do we just sing them or do we really sing them with meaning? Do we make them a part of us? That's what we need to declare. David, David, David. Oh, David. David had issues. David, <laughs> minding his own business and knowing his God. He was on the backside of the desert. He was a shepherd minding sheep. That's what I call minding his own business. He, his, he, he spent most of his time with sheep rather than human beings. So he understood sheep. He understood how stubborn they could be, how you had to be super patient to deal with them. He dealt with sheep until God pulled him out and had him anointed as king. And that was the beginning of his troubles. Sometimes I wonder, mm, did David say, God, why did you put me in this situation? <laughs> well, you see, God has planned everything. And he will not test us beyond what we are capable of. Because with every testing, he gives us the strength to go through. David was anointed and was not, did not take over the throne for another seven years waiting. And seven years of trouble of the incumbent king trying to kill him constantly. And he had opportunities to have his own back, to kill him as well, but he never did because he feared the Lord. The interesting thing about David, whenever David did wrong, as we all do, can I say that again? Whenever David did wrong, as we all do, or don't you, maybe some don't, I do, as we all do, David always learned to straight away go to God, confess, and repent of them. He knew how to do that. That was why God loved him so much. He called him a man after my own heart. David, David, David. What didn't he do? Killed someone so he could take uh, his wife? Killed people. He was constantly at war throughout his reign. Fought, fought, fought. Blood never escaped from David. Always at war, even before his kinship. Do you remember the story of Nabon when he, he looked after his sheep for him and he sent his men over to ask for a payment, payment in kind. Look, we've looked after your sheep, nothing, you didn't lose anything. So can you just give us something? Mind you, he didn't name a prize. He simply said, can you give us something? And this arrogant man didn't know who he was playing with. He just ignored him and didn't want to know. And David was mad, he wanted to kill him. He, however, didn't because, thank God for women. Thank God for women. He had a wise wife who spoke sense, who knew how to appeal to the heart of a man, even foolish men. She knew how to speak so that the man felt good about himself. 
he felt full of himself. So that was Abigail spoke to David, and I'm sure his head had become the size, I don't know, footballs are what, size five? I don't know. His size, the head of his size is probably swelled to about size 10 or something, I don't know. Because she kept talking, as they say in uh, vernacular um, parlance. She bigged him up. She kept bigging him up, bigging him up, talking big things about him, lifting him up. I see, and his ego oof, was massaged well. So, from anger, he became that smooth, cool guy and turned around. And she actually gave him what he was looking for as well. So, apart from sending the gifts over, she talked him out of him wanting to kill her husband even though she herself knew her husband was foolish. See, so David had troubles throughout, persecutions. If you look at Psalm 27, can we quickly read that? Psalm 27 is a typical example. Psalm 27. We'll just do verse 1. I have a few things we could do, but we'll just look at verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? At this time, he was being persecuted and he was afraid. But he didn't verbalize his fear. Rather, he verbalized something else, the opposite. Who shall I fear if the Lord is with me? If the Lord is my light and my salvation, I have no fear. If the Lord is a stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Again, the Lord is my light. So the light there, illuminating, revealing, showing him the way, directing him, being his source. That's what David was saying about God. Light and darkness, sin, forgiveness. Darkness being sin, light being direction. And God forgave us, as we'll see here in 1 John. We'll quickly look at 1 John. 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That is the God that we serve. And the light shows the way. You see, his word will be a light to our heart and a lamp to our feet. Direction. Source. Revealing. Illuminating. That's the God that we serve. So this message from him, this message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. He wants to shine. He wants us to shine, to be a beacon to the world. And if, what is the point being a light and having that light covered? It's of no use. So as believers, with the word of God in us, with the light of God shining through us, are we covering that light so that it's not visible to all. 
by our examples? Or are we actually lifting off the veil for the light to be revealed to all that truly these are the children of God? Truly, I can see God in them. Truly, I can see the hand of God. Truly, I can see the move of God. The Bible also says salt gives flavor. Now, if salt loses its saltiness, is it of any use? No. Because it doesn't flavor anything. Flavoring enhances a particular thing. We are light and salt of the world. As salt, we are supposed to affect our environment, our friends, our relations, our parents, our siblings, all those around us, near and dear and far and wide, wherever we go, we are supposed to affect them. They must see something in us, that saltiness, so much so that they would want to taste of that salt. But if that salt has lost its flavor, then giving it to someone is of no use, it's of no benefit. So we must maintain our saltiness. We must not let our light be hidden. It must be visible to all in all that we do. Be the light, just as our Christ is the light of the world who stepped down into darkness. Can you imagine God being the light of the world, stepping down into hell to take the keys away from Satan? I'm just imagining the whole place shaking and full of light and just it destroying things. That's the God. He did that for you. He did that for me. He's God of all. And we must remember, he charges us to be a beacon, a light for mankind to see his goodness in our lives. So, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Those who have faith through Christ have eternal life. This life is a gift from God. Are we light as our Christ is? Do we draw people to want to know more about him, wanting to know more about the gospel? Or are we just like them? No difference. No flavor. Have you tried eating bland food? I mean, really bland. You put it in your mouth and... What's that? All you want to do is spew it out. You don't want to keep eating it. And in our Christian walk, we must take away all forms of blandness. We must have that punch, that flavor that people want, that people want to taste. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we must get people to do. From our examples, from our life, we must want them to taste and see that our God is good. Are we tapped into our source on a daily basis? Or do we run out of Holy Ghost juice from time to time? The Holy Ghost juice is on tap. And we can tap in at all times. Tap in at all times. 
we can be constantly plugged in. Constantly. Just like, I, I want to liken this to solar energy. We have the rays of the sun, or UV rays, as some say, rather than the actual direct sunlight, because I understand that even without direct sunlight, you can still receive a charge from the UV rays. I don't know how that works, but that's how it works. In the same way, the Holy Ghost is broadcasting all times. And you see, our spiritual antennae must tune in. We hover. It scans the atmosphere, looking, listening out for the sign of the Holy Ghost. As soon as we're here, we tune in and we're locked in. Just like sky, those who have sky will probably see this. When the engineers come to set up your dish, they know that the source, the satellite, it's it's at a certain degree, certain angle, whatever. So they know that they keep turning the dish until they lock it in and then just tighten it and it's locked in permanently. In the same way, as we scan, listening out for what the Holy Spirit is saying or doing, it's not so here we're locked in and we're on top. We're receiving constantly. That's what we need to be doing on a daily basis. That direct access, direct access that we don't lose, constantly receiving, so it's on tap. There's nothing more beautiful than, be, than being on tap. You don't wait till your um, petrol gauge says E, or even on reserve. <laughs> A few years ago, <laughs> I used to do this thing. Very bad, I'm not advising anybody to do that. <laughs> I'll drive and drive until the car was literally, it literally ran dry. <laughs> dry of petrol, not completely, but just when, you know, there's E, so I think maybe I'm a bit of an expert on this, I don't know. We, <laughs> when, <laughs> when it hits the E and the indicator comes on, the switch comes on, I know that I've got a few more miles. Oh yeah, I got some time, so you drive around a bit. Yeah. So you drive around the book. It's a gallon. Okay, all right. So <laughs> So I drive around a bit until I'm very ready to go and spend some money and buy that fuel. And I just keep watching. So you see it keeps it drops a bit more because you have that first E and then the bottom E. Then you know that there's it, there's absolutely nothing in it. I don't wait till it gets to that point because you're just going to get stuck. The car won't move. So just before it gets to that last line, then I start looking for source to fill up. We're not meant to do that with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to tap in. We are, the Holy Spirit is there, available at all times. We're, he's on tap. So all we do is lock in there, constantly receiving. As it's draining, well, we get a recharge straight away. It's a certain level, then we get a recharge straight away. That's what we're supposed to do with the Holy Spirit at all times. We shouldn't treat it like our car. So I don't do that anymore. Oh, occasionally I do, actually. I wait till it hits the E, then I say, ooh, I start panicking. Oh, yeah, I've got to do that now. So there's an improvement. At first, when it hits the E, I'm relaxed. No big deal. Oh, I've still got a few miles to do. So I wait till it comes to the very bottom, then I top up. But right now, I start panicking. As soon as it hits the first one, I know I'm just going to get off and go and get petrol now, now, as of this minute. So, Holy Spirit doesn't want us to do that. He wants us 
to be receiving constantly, drawing on him at all times, so that in every situation, we don't want to be, it's interesting, do you say half full, half empty? Individual preferences. Some choose to say half full, half empty. It doesn't matter. There's still a drop or a loss. Holy Spirit gives us that source, constant tapping, constant replenishing, constant recharging, constant recharging, because trust me, we need that in this world, this wicked and cruel world. We need the constant recharging. We need it. We need it wherever we are. We need it wherever we are. So let's be charged in. Let's lock our antennae to the Holy Spirit and stay locked in and constantly receive our charge so we never run dry. We have to keep tapping in. We have to keep receiving because it gives us that strength. So wherever we are, wherever we are, because maybe you be at work for a few hours, you leave work, you don't know who or what you're going to encounter. You need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the direction and the word of the Holy Spirit to know how to deal with situations as and when they hit you. Some of them, they keep coming thick and fast, all of them, everywhere. And it takes the Holy Spirit to make you, give you that capability to wade through all those traps. Some are traps to wade through and come out unscathed. You need the Holy Ghost. We don't want to be half empty then start looking around. Oh, where are you, Holy Spirit? We should be locked in. We know he's at 10 degrees north, five degrees south, wherever it is. We do know, we scan and we lock in and we're supposed to stay locked in. Can you imagine what it would be like if your sky dish wasn't really locked in? So then any contrary wind will come blow it and then it shifts. You can't receive a signal anymore in the same way. If we're not locked into the Holy Spirit, when issues and storms of life come and hit you and buffet you, slap you on the left and the right, up, down, wherever it hits you, you find yourself floundering. But if you're locked in, yes, it will hit you, bam, but you're still locked in. So you receive direction, you receive a word, you receive instruction, you receive power, you receive that strength not to give up. After you've done all, haven't done all, stand.